Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. As Samuel L. Jackson says at the start of Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. This is the Outer Sanctum. I'm Emma Race. No, I'm not. I'm Alicia. Sometimes. Where's Emma? Oh, my God. She's missing. How can we even go ahead? I don't know. Let's go home. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, yes, I'm Alicia. I'm- Sometimes back from just holidaying, you know, for the last few weeks. And you are? I'm still Nicole Hayes. Oh, I'm still Kate Sear. And I am the one and only race, <laughs> Lucy, that is. Ooh. Dropping like flies, they are. I like our ratio, though. Yeah. You're my favourite. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. <laughs> yeah, you're mine, too. Uh, Emma's mine, but she's not here, so I don't get any points for that. <laughs> and Felicity Race on the bench just for, you know, a while. We're going to get her back. There's no doubt. There's yep. no doubt. It has been an incredible week of sport, of AFL, of cycling, of soccer, of any kind of ball sports that you can imagine. There's tennis. There's, yep, we've been playing with balls. So <clears throat> let's look at commentary watch, Kate. Well, there's so much to say. I haven't done a commentary watch for a few weeks, and so um, I I have been accumulating a number of little perlers that I wanted to share. So thank you very much to our listeners for getting in touch. First of all, thank you to somebody who calls themselves Get Off My Lawn on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, He or she noted that, uh, listening to the game the other night, apparently Tom Hawkins was running on top of the ground which I think is something we've heard a number of times. And I must admit, I always, I think it's me. I kind of, I feel like, am I stupid? Do I, what does that mean? It's Jesus-like. Yeah. So uh, he's not actually touching the ground. He's like a hovercraft almost. (laughs) He should be playing for Carlton, shouldn't he? Um, Jocelyn got in touch on email. Now, this this is an interesting one. She noticed that in a recent game, I think it was between West Coast and Essendon from memory, that commentators were referencing the fact that some players were doing some fresh airies. And Jocelyn noted, and I'll quote here, that it seems to me that fresh air in an outside game should not be noteworthy. If indeed there are only pockets of fresh air, I believe the AFL should look into this for player safety reasons. And I couldn't agree more with with Jocelyn. Um, But I just wanted to mention a couple of others. I... Listeners to this program will know that I've long expressed concern about apparent rule breaches in the game that just go unnoticed and aren't picked up by the the umpires, Uh, particularly where there's the use of assistance devices. So when we hear commentators say that, you know, say Dusty's getting his skates on or somebody's getting on his bike and, and... And so there's another one that we hear quite often and it's becoming increasingly apparent that some players are using another device to help make them mark the ball in the form of a bread basket. Oh. Um, 
because commentators often say that he's that, that one's gone straight into the breadbasket. Mm. Uh, isn't that there to help you do carbo-loading at <laughs> half-time? <laughs> Maybe it serves a dual purpose <laughs> or that he aimed straight for the breadbasket. So I envisage this as like a giant baseball mitt that um, <laughs> that plays. I've never seen this mysterious breadbasket, but I've, I've been keeping an eye out for it. Um, and the other one that I wanted to mention, which I hear creeping into the commentary increasingly, is a plea from commentators that player X or player Y or sometimes the whole team needs to hit the scoreboard. And I don't know why it is that you need to hit the scoreboard. In fact, I've never seen anybody kick the ball and hit the scoreboard, particularly the MCG where it's like on very level high. four. Mm, <laughs> very, very, very high. high. But they are insistent that, mm. that teams need to hit the scoreboard. So if any of our listeners out there know why that is and why it's so crucial apparently to the to the game, I'd like to hear it. Maybe there's some extra points that we don't know about. Could you go back to the rule book and just see, like, how many points you get if you hit the scoreboard? It's like six off the fence, you know? Yeah. It's a super off the fence. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a late one, and um, this comes courtesy of a good friend of ours on Twitter, um, Man Too Big for Boat, another great Twitter handle. And he mentioned that uh, James Brayshaw actually used the term body candy <laughs> in the Roots versus Swans that game. That sounds gross. So I think if someone's selling some body candy. Sounds mm, sexy though. Just, I just want to know where they've stored it. Creepy, creepy. Um, I actually, I'm going to ride on the back of yours, but I actually gather my own um, commentary watch, unlike you guys relying entirely on our listeners. Rubbish! <laughs> Rubbish! <laughs> so, uh, Bruce You should McAvoy. see my phone, Nicole. I've got like about 50 stored up for future Just occasions. them out. Totally. Yeah, like body candy. Yeah. Um, Bruce McAvaney told us that uh, Dowhouse is a stretchy player, which immediately makes me think of Elastigirl from The Incredibles. Or Gumby. Like, which doesn't seem fair, but anyway, I'm a big fan of her, so, if, you know, Maybe whatever it's made of body candy. Maybe. <laughs> that could be it. And Brett... Brad Sewell, like I'm all for inclusion, right, and indifference and, and all the rest of it, but Brad Sewell telling us that everyone grows a leg when they play in art, art tribal, I feel like that's a bit bridge too far. I don't know. What do you think? Well, again, um, with the – I mean, it's interesting that some players have no right foot or no left foot. Mm. So there are some players on, on one leg and some with three legs. It's impressive. Um, again <laughs> – <laughs> It is impre- it's impressive. Oh, at least they're not using that horrible term, grow a pair. Oh, oh good God, Lord. I Let's hate get that, that right out of there. But do they mean breasts? I think nowadays they only mean breasts because we all know they're much more resilient than um, the other kind. Should we just stop talking about that? Do this? you want to talk some football? Yeah. 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 Wait, what? Do you know what? My, um, my favourite. Oh, there's so many good moments last round, but Buddy kicking his 900th goal. And it was a perler. It was a really lovely goal that he kicked too. He is just the ninth player in VFL or AFL to do this. He kicked 580 of them at Hawthorne. So they were the best ones. They were great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the finish of that game was extraordinary. Mm. And to see Alir Alir kick his first goal and to have that be the match winner was pretty awesome. Other things well, that, unless, well, unless you're Sarah uh, Joseph and anyone else who barracks for the all. kangaroos, yeah. so sorry about that. But as a neutral, how good is a game where the lead changed that many times yeah, in the last it was 12 exciting. minutes? It was amazing. The other things I think we learnt this weekend is that West Coast can win at the MCG, mm. that the Tigers can be beaten. Yes, if Bucks has no beard, are there no pies? <laughs> what happens? Well, that's that's interesting because I saw a stat about this on Twitter. Um, so apparently, so Nathan Buckley shaved his beard off this week for anybody who's been living under a rock. Um, that That's a, a very, very important 
factor in Collingwood's season because when Bucks has the beard this season, they have won eight games and lost just one. But when he's sans beard... They have won three and lost four. I think it's Sons. Sons, sorry. But anyway, oh, Sons. Excusez-moi. <laughs> um, so uh, without Bucks's beard, Collingwood essentially don't win. That's an early omen watch. And so Bucks, grow the beard back, please. Do you think he's going to Ashley and Martin and just quickly growing it? <laughs> like, is it while it's in growth? I mean, I'm worried like how long it takes to grow a beard mm. that's, it, that actually works for superstition purposes. Well, it's also interesting to what constitutes a beard. Mm. At what point does it become? Become a beard for the purposes and of Omen Watch. That's right. Stubble. That's mm. that's. I'll look into that between now and next yeah. week. Yeah, that's important. Gigs stuff. will have some stats on that's that. True. Any other exciting things are in the round? Um, oh gosh, I just think the other thing was it was just heartbreaking to see some of the injuries, um, <sighs> and especially to see Nick Nat do his ACL again. <sighs> and his other one too, which yeah. is really heartbreaking. But there's actually been a bit of a pattern with these injuries. So one, apart, apart from the fact that I'm just going to read some names of players who aren't going to be playing this week. And there is an awful lot of AFL talent out um, out of the game for the moment. But we've got Josh Kennedy from West Coast and Josh Kennedy from Sydney, Jack Darling. Um, we've got uh, Paddy Ryder, Robbie Gray, and as I said, the Josh Kennedy, Kieran Jack, Jared McVeigh, Dan Hanabry, Mitch McGovern, for Solo. Goldsack, Trelaw, um, Zaharakis, Ambrosia, Fantasia, Stringer. We've got Fife, um, Jared Waite, Lynn Jong, Liberatori, Liam Picken, Easton Wood, Tom Boyd. Um, but what's really interesting is how many are ruck, how many big guys. So Nick Nat, obviously, as you just mentioned, Mason Cox is out um, and Aaron Sandylands. Uh, I know they've been out for a little while, but the point is, you know, this, this year's been a really tough one. Patton's out. McAvoy and Matthew Cruiser. So there's some really big names. The Ruck players, you know, these are stars of the Ruck who, um, you know, third man up or not, they're clearly having a bit of a hard time. And I don't know what, I mean, it could be coincidence or it could be just as you get later into the season, but not a good look, is it? There was one other um, terrible situation I saw that, you know, Sophie Conway did her ACL a few weeks ago. Her brother Isaac plays for, I think it's Port Melbourne in the VFL. He did his ACL on the weekend, so the two of them are going to be rehabbing together and maybe sitting on the couch squabbling over the ice machine. So we wish them all the best. That's Mm. really tough. When you're reading out all those names, Nick, it sounded like it's big names, but it sounds like an opera. (laughs) Like I think it's going to be great to put in opera. And Lucy, I meant to say on the back of you talking about North and Sydney, there was a bit of controversy in that game. Um, At the very end, with two minutes to go, a runner was still on the ground. So Jeremy Laidler stayed on the field in the decisive final two minutes uh, after Aaliyah Aaliyah drifted toward a break, to break the deadlock. Um, this is such a big thing that people mm. are saying they're going to have to look at runners being on the field. Well, Nathan Buckley today was saying he thought that they were going to not have them on this year. Like that yeah. that, that was one of the conversations happening pre-season. So it does seem inevitable, doesn't it? Which is interesting. I guess it does put more onus on the players, the leadership group, to to really be communicating on behalf of the coach. And it's a bigger problem than Sydney, so it's mm. it's across the board. But um, are, are these – why do you think they're staying? I think they forget that they're not playing anymore. A lot of them are ex-players, you know. It's a really common thing and they get a bit excited and the ball's there and, you know, well, there bad was, habits. There was habits. a bit of talk about – because Sydney's been fined, I think, $10,000 for that. And um, I heard some talk this morning about whether – there should actually be suspensions, and it means that the mm. going into the following week, you actually are down a runner. Um, wow! I don't know. 
Maybe so that would work. So runners getting but suspended. I don't know. Interesting. It's just a... Oh, Mr. P, would, would Mr. P preside over those decisions oh. as well? Maybe that's an umpiring thing. Maybe Mr. R. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Runner. No, nothing can be as exciting as I'd say it could be 10, 15 years ago, Sydney versus Saints in Sydney, and uh, one of the players kicked the ball and the umpire marked it. Do you remember that? Oh, oh, I don't. Yeah. I'll have to. Oh, I think fantastic. I'm sure it's. Oh, vaguely. Yeah. When you say, yeah. yeah. It wasn't Stefan Grun, was it? <laughs> no, he marked it and he was just so sorry. So was it a specky? Does that. No. But does that become a stat? I love it. And also, oh too, is it. Could it be. A, what if it was like a proper specky? Could it be a contender for Mark of the Year? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> I don't see fair. any reason why no. it should be ruled out of contention. Except totally. all the reasons. <laughs> Except all the reasons. <laughs> Another exciting thing is always when Scott Pendlebury tweets. <laughs> and this is because, I'll back up a little bit, the AFL football boss Steve Hocking remains vague on what new rules will be introduced later this year. There will be rule changes and everyone's speculating on what. Um, there's potentially a relationship between rotations and even runners, which we just mentioned. Is there potentially a penalty that is applied, uh, Hocking said. So there's so many things that they're going through and Scott Pendlebury said, will we get bibs so we know who is playing where? <laughs> Good commercial chance here. So he wants to know whether the players will be wearing bibs. Oh, it doesn't sound like he's a big fan of this change. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I guess I'd like to see there be a rule that there'd be no more rule changes, actually, oh, <laughs> partway through the season. Unless, like, for safety reasons or something, there was something really obvious that you could do to protect, you know, player, player heads, um, you know, head injuries or prevent yeah. head injuries or something like that. But I can understand why players get frustrated because... Mm. Um, you know, there is a lot of inconsistency in the way that things are adjudicated and interpretations throughout the season. Interpretations then change mm -hmm. and then they change the rules as well. And mm. so it would be very difficult for players to keep on top of all of that. Unless, well, uh, keeping on top of things. I mean, Tom Hawkins keeps on top of the ground, mm. but um, <laughs> keeping on top of the rules <laughs> is a different matter. Luck. The other thing I think is, you know, lists are looked at in advance. Mm. So clubs build their list with a certain um, style of game in mind and and I think when you change like we saw it with the ruck rule when they changed that third man up that changes the kind of makeup that you might want in your team so I just think I, I think when it's about the aesthetics of the game largely and not about safety or you know actual protection of players or imp improving um, performances and those sorts of things that have a real impact on the welfare of players I just just back off back off and and let it just go because uh, Anyway, when patterns change and, and coaching styles change, a lot of those things disappear anyway from the game naturally and evolve kind of on their own. So, and Should you do it mid-year or mid-season? Absolutely um, not. Yeah. And how as a spectator do we get to barrack for a team knowing the rule changes? You, you forget and you yeah. just start screaming and it's, it's no longer relevant. I think people are doing that anyway. Though, aren't they? <laughs> <Ball>! <laughs> so some interesting Brownlow predictions, Nick. Well... It's really different this year because there's no clear standout. Now that um, Fife's out of the question uh, due to his suspension, um, we've got a kind of a cluster of players who are sort of in that predictor space. Um, 
are not your obvious choices and break with the norm. So the one who's sort of the name that comes up the most is Patrick Cripps, who plays for Carlton. And yeah, he's you know he's amazing. He's a midfielder. He's, he's a, a ball getter. He's a hard ball getter and incredible with his possessions. But he's playing for a bottom dwelling team, and and it's been a really long time since um, bottom dwelling. Bottom dwelling, like not in a bad way, <laughs> but just they're at the bottom, and that's not you know most of the players certainly in the modern game have come from the sort of top eight or top four or five teams even. And the other name that keeps coming up is Max Gorn from Melbourne. Um, and again, to look back, the last time we had a Ruckman win the Brownlow was Peter Moore in 1979 and I think Dempsey before that in 75. Wow. So it's actually, you know, they're quite, they're both outsiders. Um, there's a few other names. I think, Lucy, you had a, you've got a prediction, haven't you? Oh, well, I just want to put in a vote for Max Gorn because I don't know if you've seen his ads for the home <laughs> communication <laughs> yeah. device, but they are top shelf. That's they good are enough Very, reason. very funny. I'm with but you. I think it's interesting, you know, when, you know, so Tom Mitchell is in there clearly for Hawthorne and, you know, this discussion about how you know, he's getting so many possessions, but are they good possessions? Mm. Mm. I, I must well, admit, I, I kind of agree yes. with that to some extent. I remember years ago there was a game where, look, don't quote me exactly on the stats, but Hawthorne, oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but Hawthorne beat Collingwood by something like eight or ten goals, and Dane Swan had I think fifty-one or fifty-two possessions, and all the commentary was about the number of possessions that Dane Swan had had, and most of them were sort of just. Easy possessions actually across mm. half back, and um, and I thought that was an example where the focus on the number of disposals somebody has really seems at odds with what what matters in the game. Uh, that doesn't mean that a player can't, you know, like Tom Mitchell or somebody else. Gary Ablett's another example, can't have a you know huge game with huge possessions and still lose, but be a really effective yeah. performer. But I just don't of think course. that one necessarily own, equates yeah. to the other. And I, I know in the festival of Cyril when he was last week, <laughs> the week before, last couple of weeks when um, he announced his retirement, um, one of the conversations people were having, you know, that his stats don't reflect what his contribution was. And I think it was Jared Whateley. No, it wasn't him. It was Robbo, I think, who said something like, you know, you've got Tom Mitchell with 50 or Cyril with 15. Mm. Who are you going to pick? And everyone's like, Cyril hands down. So no offence to Tom Mitchell. But in terms of the, you know, the outcome and how to turn a game, it's not about the number always, you know. It's, it, it's there's the much visuals. More. Can it's, you Photoshop it to make it look good? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what you're saying about rucks not getting brown lows, yeah. they get injured, why are they there? Why are they, what are they doing? Oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> So, Nicole, there was a lot of talk of Aaliyah and Dor this week. There was, and rightly in many ways. It's really exciting to see players from a non-Anglo-traditional sort of a Anglo traditional background um, excelling and really owning this game and, and making a mark on their teams as well as football generally. And, you know, they're both role models for their communities and really just extraordinary athletes and, and just a pleasure to watch. But it did feel so. And leading up to the game, the the Aaliyah versus um, Door, you know, the playoff and the fact they were going to be playing against each other, you know, is really exciting and, and definitely um, something the media focused on. But it did feel there's a point where I think you cross over where it starts to feel 
uh, heavy-handed and a little contrived, and what, and I think that was epitomised by the at at the end of the game having um, Majak and Alia standing next to each other, being interviewed by Jimmy Bartel, and just the the awkwardness of having the guy who's lost and the guy yeah, who's hard. won having to have a chat about you know literally as the Sydney Swans you know uh, theme songs playing, having to have a chat about. Um, you know, the, what it means on a bigger context. And it just felt really awkward. They both looked really awkward and uncomfortable with the whole thing. Um, Jimmy did a great job trying to make it seem more natural. But it did sort of remind me, um, there was quite a bit of chat about Twitter, on Twitter about it. And it did kind of remind me of that whole thing where, you know, Indigenous players being magical and kind of romanticising this idea that they're, and also detracting from the reality that they just work really hard as well, you know, that, that this is something they're just born with. And, and it does have a different kind of um, overlaying of racism that's obviously not as negative as the other kind, but still crossed the line, I think, for me. Yeah, so I, I felt similarly, Nick, actually, when I saw some of um, the fallout from that and some of the discussion on Twitter. And one of the things that I saw a number of people suggesting was that um, maybe Channel 7 had quite deliberately put Aaliyah and Dor in front of the cameras this week in order to try and repair some of the damage that they uh, were perceived to have done the week before by having a story on one of their programs about so-called African gangs in in Melbourne, a story that um, I think quite rightly attracted a huge amount of criticism. Um, and also, too, you know, the, the kind of broader political climate in which Malcolm Turnbull has been saying that people in Melbourne don't feel safe to go out to dinner because of African <laughs> Except Christopher violence. Pine's happy. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Christopher he Pine didn't get the memo, obviously. No idea about what's going on. Um, so there was there was a sense that that's part of what Channel Seven was trying to do, and I don't know whether or not that's the case. But um, but interestingly, a friend of our pod who we've had on before, um, Professor Barry Judd, who does work on sport and race, has written a little bit about this kind of stuff in the context of Aboriginal footballers, and he um, employs a concept from um, American uh, academia called enlightened racism, and what. Barry's talking about there. He says, we adapt. I'll just read something from something he wrote here. He says, we adapted this concept of enlightened racism and brought it to Australian football and came up with the theory that Aboriginal footballers in the AFL are the kind of Aborigines that all white fellas in Australia would like to have living in their street. Primarily, this is about Aboriginal people being success stories in terms of mainstream society. They are highly integrated into society's institutions through football and perhaps most importantly these days are very wealthy people. And the point that he really makes is that there's, um, as long as they're kind of successful in a mainstream Australian sense, a, st- a sense that mainstream Australians might be able to relate to, then we're, we're happy with those Indigenous footballers and that that's a kind of, it seems like a progressive view and it sounds like it's enlightened but it's actually underpinned by some racist ideas about what constitutes success. And I thought about that actually watching the, the fallout of um, Aaliyah and Dor and the commentary about it because it seemed to me like a lot of people were saying, oh, look at these two guys. Here are two guys from these communities that we can feel proud of mm. and they are an example of what we, we want. And what kind of is implicit or what underpins that is a as a suggestion, an assumption or perhaps even a criticism of the rest of, mm. in inverted commas, say the South Sudanese community who don't... 
um, apparently haven't you know apparently assimilated into Australian culture <laughs> yeah, appropriately awesome. or aren't the right kinds of role models or success stories. And so, I I think that we had to look at the focus on Aaliyah and door through that lens of enlightened racism, as Barry Judd would call it, because I do think a bit of that was what was going on. It didn't help that there were the the actual sorry the the interviews themselves was just so awkward. Like Jimmy Bartel, obviously had been you know. Um, was limited in what he could say, but he's got the two of them standing there and he says, this seems like a real mutual respect respect between you two. Is that right? Like, where do you go no. from that? And Are they going to say no? No, exactly. And Aaliyah, <laughs> do, you, do you look up to magic? His answer was, of course. You know, mm. it was just all of this yeah. kind of, I need to have a justification for you two to stand in this space, fill the camera for us and, and, and play the role that we've ascribed to you. Um, and it was so obvious that they were just... You know, padding. The other, the other, I guess the other thing to keep in mind is that um, of all the players that were out there, they were two that you would probably want to talk to at the end because mm. Magic Dora had kicked four goals, True. which was awesome. Mm. And, um, you know, to see Aaliyah kick, kick his kick first goal and, and for that winning. to be the match yeah. winner. So, um, you know. <sighs> rose-coloured glasses. But also <laughs> on Twitter it was great to see a lot of positive comments about uh, those two and two great players. And um, so a lot of people don't see that they are looking through the lens that you talk about, Kate. So they think, oh, I'm just, these are two amazing players and they're perhaps not thinking about the broader discussion of it. But mm. um, it was interesting, usually uh, there's a lot more negative comments about just even the opposing team, but there seemed to be a lot of positivity, which was good. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe that is what one of the fallouts is that, you know, and also it was a great game. That helps. There's a lot less to talk about, you know, to, you know, get snippy about when the game is entertaining. Well, during the week there was an awful concussion. Robbie Gray got concussed. Tell us a little bit about that, Lucy. He did. That was a terrible-looking tackle mm. and um, Nighthouse has been rubbed out for three weeks. Um, so that sends a message that mm. that kind of tackle is just not wanted in this game. But, you know, again, concussion's just going to be something that we're, we're going to be talking about a lot. So the Bulldogs have advised this week that they're going to continue to be really cautious with Liam Picken, and he's not going to play this year. They've stated that he's back um, at full training and is doing well, but they want to make sure that his recovery is really well managed and they don't think there's anything to be gained um, and potentially there's a lot to be lost by rushing it. But I wanted to talk about concussion this week because Liam and his wife Annie Nolan have been sharing some personal insights and, and information on what this year's been like for them. Liam, um, did you see, he took to Instagram recently and um, wrote about some of the challenges of recovering from post-concussion syndrome. And I think that was really valuable um, because it's something that we don't we don't often hear about. And he, he also posted some videos of the kinds of exercises that he's been doing to aid in his recovery. And that was fascinating to watch him, you know, with a contraption on his head and trying to move his eyes and move his um, wow. head to actually, you know, match a pattern on the wall, that kind of thing. Um, Annie earlier this month was interviewed for a piece in the Herald Sun and she was really open about the impact of the injury on his family. I think it's like it's pretty unprecedented for a player and his family um, or a player and their family to invite people in to see how they're going with recovery from injury. And I think mm -hmm. that in doing so, especially in this um, on this topic, they're really helping to broaden the understanding of concussion and post-concussion syndrome. And that is just welcome because if there is anything definitive about concussion, it's uncertainty. Mm. 
and and the variations in people's responses. Absolutely. So I think, you know, when we think about concussion, there's from grassroots all the way through to elite sport, there's often uncertainty about whether players should leave the field or whether they should resume a game. There's uncertainty about how long, like what, what damage has been done, how long recovery is going to be, um, should they return to sport ever. Mm. Um, and especially I know with kids, you know, when should they return to, to other things. Because it affects people differently, it's really hard to know and it's, you know, who's going to have other complications and um, who may not be able to play again. Um, And also in terms of, I guess, the long-term implications and, you know, we've discussed CTE and some of those um, conditions as well. So it's a topic that actually has, there's big gaps in our knowledge, but there's also really big stakes. Um, just this week, I listened to a new podcast by Ben Roden called Unsociable Game. So it's five short episodes just looking at concussion and community football. Um, one of the episodes features Nicole Hayes. Uh, I don't know if it features me, does it? Oh, no, you are. Yeah, oh, you're I, I, I know I talked a lot. Um, ben, <laughs> ben has firsthand experience because he's had six head knocks in five years, three of mm. them in 2015. Mm. It also features three other players from West Brun- Brunswick and Include some interviews with Professor John Olver, who's a specialist in the area, and also Peter Harcourt, who's the AFL medical director. Um, after listening to that and thinking, you know, about you know all of these issues, my takeaways are, um, and I think we've mentioned this on the pod before, but everyone should um, know about the HeadCheck app. So this has been put together by the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, along with some experts at the AFL and paediatric emergency doctors. It's a really great tool. I used it when I was a trainer for junior footy. Um, and a lot of clubs, I think, will have that, you know, brought in um, to their suite of things that are available when you're looking after kids but um, it helps to identify when a person has a suspected concussion and it also helps to guide them back to um, normal activities which is the other part of the puzzle. Um, My other takeaways we need to be doing whatever we can to get the non-game stuff that causes concussion hits behind play, Mm. overt aggression and bad techniques out of the game. I just think there's enough danger when the game is played, played properly, yeah. um, but it's crucial to see, to see a tackle like that. I, you know, pro- I would have been happy if um, Nighthouse had got more weeks because yeah. that's the sort of thing that trickles down to grassroots. And the other thing I'd say is I, we just need more research. Yeah, and it's really frustrating that the AFL really missed an opportunity with the women's competition starting up. We had a ground zero. We had something close to you know to see that lift from the from the well, many of those players had not played. AFL before. So there was the opportunity to really kind of get a baseline and there was talk about them doing baseline data, not just the self-reporting stuff that the AFL-M does, but actually, you know, wearing the head, uh, the the monitors and that kind of a thing. They had the opportunity to do that, which admittedly would have taken some years to, to um, see results. But the you know, now that it's already a, a different playing field and literally mm-hmm. um, and perhaps an opportunity lost, but still one that they need to leap on. It makes me want to give my brother a call and give him a hug. He had concussion three times before he was five. He fell off a swing. Mm. He ran into a brick wall and he mm. was throwing bricks up in the air trying <gasps> to catch them. Um, and he, severe concussion each time. He's okay, but I just want to give him a hug. Oh, it's, it's a so, horrible thing. It was thing. so horrible I've to watch. Only being concussed once when I was really young and, and I can still remember it. It's an, it's an awful feeling. And I don't know whether you saw that there was just, I heard some news this morning that they're actually going to do some research 
in soccer, um, looking at people who are older players who've retired now to have a look at um, whether there's any impacts from heading the ball. Mm. And that's that's something that's been talked about with links to CTE. Yeah. And I know in some leagues, um, I think it might be in the US, and I don't know whether it's here, but they actually discourage junior yeah. soccer players from heading. It's interesting, God. though, because I remember reading some of the research that was done at Deakin um, about how a theory around the women's game is that they because they weren't given the opportunity to tackle and... Um, you know, to to uh, to develop the muscular skeletal skeletal muscular skeletal strength that a lot of the boys do because they're you know literally from playing the game all those years that that's what makes them more susceptible so potentially. So risk. you know, it's interesting to see. There's a lot of work to do. Kate, there was something else that caught your eye this week. Yeah, well, the as Lucy said, the story about Liam Pickham was a a big story um, in the news this week. But there was another one from overseas outside of the AFL that caught my attention, but that does have potential implications for footy back here. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about it. Um, It's a really important development and it's to do with athletes who have have so-called DSD, which stands for Differences of Sex Development. So let me just tell you um, a little bit by way of background um, about the history of of this, it's it's uh, involves athletics, and then I'll talk to you about what happened or what came out last week. Um, and I should say that I'm really indebted to Ben Co, Daryl Adair, and Liam Elphick, who have written about this um, stuff. So I really drew a lot on their research. Um, so thank you to all of them. So essentially, um, the IAAF. IAAF, which is the International Athletics Federation, um, has been trying since about the 1940s to establish um, boundaries between men and women when it comes to track and field events. Um, And as part of that, what they have had is a very long history, as I said, since the 1970s, of trying to establish the so-called authenticity of female athletes when deciding who gets to perform in or compete in each category. And over the years, the practice of trying to establish the authenticity of female athletes, and I keep, I use that, I'm using that word with scare quotes as I say it because it's so problematic, but um, over the years, that practice has taken a range of different forms. So, for example, back in the day, um, the Athletics Federation used to use gynecological examinations to determine if women were authentically female and could therefore compete, say, in discus or shot put for women. Um, uh, at a time, they also used employed a practice of nude parades, believe it or not, to determine whether or not women, um, uh, you know, whether people were male or female. Um, later, those kinds of practices or tests were replaced with something called a chromatin test. Um, and eventually it became clear that biological excess, sex existed along a spectrum. And so um, there weren't just male and female, but there were intersex people and the like. Um, And so eventually, and I'll skip all of the detail because it's, you know, many, many decades of practices and procedures and policies and and so on. Um, But eventually what happened was that the IAAF decided to focus on using a test revolving around naturally occurring testosterone. That was the way in which they said that they would determine whether somebody was authentically male or female and therefore which category they would get to compete in. 
And there has been some legal action in the past around these issues. But in April of this year, the IAAF announced that they were, ha- they were introducing a new DSD rule, which would come into effect on the 1st of November this year. And essentially what the rule requires is that women in certain events only um, need to have a certain level of testosterone in their system in order to be deemed authentically female and therefore to be able to compete in a women's event. And what it in reality requires is that if you don't have that level of testosterone, you need to um, either bow out of the competition and not you, you don't get to compete or you need to lower your testosterone levels through some kind of medical treatment. Now, importantly, this rule that they... Uh, uh, introducing on the 1st of November is based on a single study that was published last year. And that study was funded by the IAAF. There have been a lot of questions raised about the independence of that research and the integrity of the data. Um, But what we learned this week in what is really a bombshell story, I think, internationally, is that the 2017 study... um, actually has major flaws. So there was an independent review undertaken by three scientists. They looked at the data and they essentially found that it was really, really problematic. And so it's called everything into question about the IAAF policy. Um, There have been calls for the paper that was published in 2017 to be retracted. Um, The IAAF say they're not going to do that, but um, there have been calls for, for that to happen and for the IAAF to abandon this DSD rule, which I I must say many people believe really is designed to target Castor Semenya in particular Mm. because um, the rule really pertains to certain athletic events and it just so happens that they're they're the ones that she competes in. Um, So this is a really, really important story to follow and um, I mention it because it could have really... major potential implications for Australian athletes, people who compete in track and field, but also I think Australian sport more broadly Mm. because all of these issues are in a state of flux at the moment. Um, And there remains a lot of uncertainty, for example, in um, Australian rules football about the eligibility of gender diverse footballers, people from the trans community and intersex um, community. And the discovery of major flaws in that IAAF study is really important and I think adds further credibility to the to the argument that we need to really look closely at whether we want to focus on testosterone alone as the test. Um, I don't think we should, but that's maybe a, a matter for another podcast. Um, but also, too, that, you know, as a lot of people have said, sporting ability, quite regardless of this bombshell story last week, sporting ability is about a lot more than this one hormone. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, athletes train, work hard over many years to perfect their skills. And football is a perfect example of a sport where, you know, speed and agility and ball awareness and having, you know, what people call a football brain is all part of what goes into making um, a a footballer a great footballer. Um, And actually the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission has um, a set of guidelines, a policy on this point that is designed to try and guide people uh, about their obligations when it comes to gender diversity in sport. And they make exactly this point that really we shouldn't be focusing on testosterone alone because sporting ability is about much more than that. Um, So my understanding is that the AFL is 
looking at these issues at the moment. Uh, we heard several months ago that they were going to be working on a policy um, around gender diversity and inclusion. And so the bigger question for the AFL and also other sporting codes is is what they're going to do next. Mm. Um, we are waiting with bated breath for the AFL guidelines to come out. Um, the IAAF developments and the apparent sort of discrediting of that IAAF study, I think, is very important and presents a challenge for the AFL because they may have been looking to that study or may have been influenced by that study in some way. Um, but more than anything, I just, I'm just i troubled by the fact that there continues to be, and there historically has been attempt after attempt after attempt, to categorise women, mm. the sort of authentic or the natural woman, um, and many of those practices are both problematic, they inv- they're discriminatory, they often involve major human rights breaches. Um, I'm worried that one problematic test will just be replaced with another one. Mm. So I, I mention this story because I think it's very, very significant and it's a space that we need to continue to watch and that we will talk about more over the next few weeks. Yeah, anything that constantly focuses on biology as an indication of gender when we know it's a, it's a construct, you know, in so many ways, that's where we're in in troubled waters there. During the week, of course, there was the World Cup and France beat Croatia by two goals and there was lots of rain, there was lots of umbrellas, there was lots of cheer and um, lots of female reporters harassed in the streets as they were reporting on different Uh, games throughout the World Cup season. So many of you know what's happened and that's all exciting. But I just wanted to talk about quickly um, England uh, football team got a psychologist, Pippa Grange, to get into their world and sort of get into their headspace and give them something exciting to have as their lead up. And did you notice England were a different team? Sure, they lost. And that was, you know, if you're an England supporter, that was terrible. So they weren't a different team in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> okay. But besides that, <laughs> for a little while, get, they were different. They did get far. <laughs> they did. It was but great. there was none of that sort of bravado they seemed to put on. Um, Pippa Grange was appointed by the FA as its head of people and team development in November last year, given the job of building resilience while confronting the pressures and psychodramas faced by previous England squads. This is an article in The Guardian by Amin Sena. And Pippa Grange wrote in 2013 that being a woman in a male team environment is a constant navigation for everyone. I have no interest in being one of the lads and I don't quite fit the nurturing mothering figure in terms of the leadership work I do. I would be professionally ineffective if I remained in the background, psychologically safe with a minimal voice, and I'm not here to be the centre of attention as some form of entertainment. I don't want to be completely separate because that would make me inaccessible and probably be a lonely place to operate from. So she was uh, getting them to understand each other, getting them closer together. She's also said to encourage the players to get off their phones and play games. Isn't that a life lesson? (laughs) Including one in a hotel. So she also did exercises, one in a hotel pool with inflatable unicorns after the win against Tunisia. (laughs) Did you see those photos? It is gorgeous. That's Uh, fantastic. I encourage everyone to look it up. And she said to dislike social media, which she expects the players to use wisely. Again, another life lesson. (laughs) Um, There's also talk in this article about 
not listening to that critical inner voice known as the yobbo in the crowd shouting at you. You know, that voice we all have that says, um, you, you know, good, you shouldn't be doing this. Well, don't let that affect you. And she's got no fear of failure too. She's written, I'd like to turn this unhealthy preoccupation with success on its head and put it on the record that I think failure is really useful. Thank God. Yeah. For without failure, we cannot progress longer, higher or faster. It's a funny paradox. Our successes are achieved through trying and trying most often ends in failure. Don't I know it? Every day in our general lives and our sporting lives, we will win some and lose some. It's just part of the way life should be. So she gives five um, quick top six tips for success. Don't fear failure, of course. Reframe your emotions. You're not nervous. You're excited. A penalty shootout uh, or a job or in speech is not something to dread. It's an opportunity. Positive thinking is unhelpful if you're just fantasising, you know, getting that Oscar or World Cup or a fuller social life. Instead, focus positively on the steps to achieve the goal. So if you want that coffee, how do you get to that cafe one step at a time fail better <laughs> that's right <laughs> treat your employees children customers fellow podcasters as individuals rather than <laughs> a homogenous group different approaches will work for different people and most of all kindness listening and empathy so i just wanted to say i love her ideas um about team building and so forth Nice rules to live by, Alicia. And I think Croatia may have um, taken some of those on board because did you see some of the vision of them coming back and just the beautiful celebration and people? It was so nice to see people celebrating a team that came second because yeah, that was pretty awesome. So true. Well, it's interesting. Um, Pippa Grange was, um, I'm pretty sure, the um, psychologist for the AFL Players Association and maybe also the Richmond Football Club for a period of time from memory. Um, and so. It's it's interesting to see, uh, and you you can hear that in some of the quotes that you read from her. She uses the word yobbo, so she's very <laughs> she's clearly an Australian. Um, but it's very interesting to to hear about that because I think we've talked a little bit before about some of some people in football, some coaches in football here, using that kind of um, those kinds of ideas or employing those kinds of ideas. And I talked before about Alistair Clarkson as one example I know of. I'm sure there are many other coaches who have tried to keep things in perspective mm. for players. And I think that's fantastic and, you know, really, really wonderful to, to keep things in check. It's better than keeping all the players on the bus and playing the Richmond theme song. I think yeah. it's a lot more positive. Do you know, the? I think she was working against it though, because with a theme of um, it's coming home, I think they really didn't listen to Omen Watch, did they? They might as well have had a theme that was like the lid is off. I know. Well, um, I think I've said before on this show that my partner's British, so that so um, you know there was a lot of excitement and then a lot of um, sadness in our house. Yeah. <laughs> some excitement, and screaming, and then some tears in our house. Um, but I think maybe Gary Gary Lineker, who is a former <laughs> footballer, many people will know. I think he might have tweeted out something to say. It was, you know, for all of those criticising us and saying that we jinxed ourselves by talking about it's coming home and so on, the, the song is meant to be ironic. That's what he had said. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Okay. That sounds like a, maybe it maybe it was the emoji. <laughs> but it's, so, so many positive stories and France, of course, played the Brisbane Lions theme song. So that was... <laughs> that's always a win. Isn't that's it? a always lovely a nod to and the that- Brisbane Lions. 
Last week, um, we saw Series 2 of the AFLW Under-18s Championships, and um, I think one of the main takeaways from that is that the Vic... Um, teams did really well, um, and I'm only saying that because they did, not because I'm biased. <laughs> but um, I think Vic Metro and Vic Country did quite well. There was it was a really good opportunity to see a lot of the talent coming through, and um, Maddie Presparkas and Nina Morrison were the joint MVP winners. One from Vic Metro, one from Vic Country. Um, there's going to be a game. They've just named an All Australian squad, and they'll be split into two, and they will play a curtain raiser to the EJ Witten game in August. So that'll be fun. And then we've got the draft combine coming up and the actual draft coming up later in October. But um, while there were all these young, talented people out playing football, there was a few old, not so talented people playing, um, some of whom was... I'm jealous, so maybe explain what you did. Well, we were very lucky to be invited along by Patrick Hill, who's the coach of the Hawthorne VFLW team and um, all of those women, um, to a training session at Box Hill City Oval last week, um, ostensibly just to come and watch the training and then to have a chat to the girls afterwards. Um, But Patrick had said to us in a message, just wear comfortable clothing. And we weren't quite sure what that meant or what was going to go on. And so then um, with sort of maybe 10 minutes to go before the training finished, they they called us all on and um, and set up. And and so we we played sort of for 10 minutes with them and they were very, very nice. They let us all have a touch. Emma Race kicked the winning goal. So well done, Em. Um, It was just an amazing experience because many of us never got an opportunity to play, certainly not to play with um, women of that calibre. And um, I'll just say, I said it last week and I'll say it again to Patrick, I am available for selection, Patrick, (laughs) if you need me. And I want to kick. I hope I get to put my socks on. uh, Well, I don't know if they'll have us back. I'm sorry. I think we might have ruined it forever. But it was possibly the most exciting night of my life. But also... um, Clearly, I I used to always think I could play, and now it's been proven that I can't. And so, you know, pathways, people. Pathways. If I'd been allowed to keep yeah. playing 40 years later, who knows what oh. sort of player I'd be. My takeaway is that any football brain that I have is an outer <laughs> football brain, not a on-the-field football brain, because I forgot the rules. So at one point, the girl I was playing on took a mark, and I was so in the mindset of see ball, get ball, that I nearly tackled her. And then I had to remind myself that that would have been a problem. But, you know, the thing that really struck me was just that freedom to run. And of any sports I've ever played, I've been constrained in Mm. a small quarter, um, you know, playing competitive sport. And... Just to be able to be out on the grass and running was awesome. Everyone described you as a wild horse, Lucy. Yes, I was <laughs> channeling <laughs> my favourite book from as a child, Black Beauty. Uh, <laughs> now, Kate, you had an amazing interview this week. I did. So speaking about the joys of women, um, especially older women like us playing footy, um, this week we decided to return to grassroots footy because um, I heard about a story of women who wanted to play footy. Um, and so I've put together a, what is a really special package about a game that was played in Victoria last Friday night. It is, as I said, a story about older women playing football. It's also about the power of sport and how a local community came together to support a family in need. I hope you'll enjoy it. Well, it's a bitterly cold Friday night up in the Dandenong Ranges, which is about an hour to the east of Melbourne. And I've made my way up here tonight because I heard about a group of women. There's about a hundred of them in total. And this is the story, their story, of the Belly Up Cup. So, Kylie, you're 
one of the organisers of the Belly Up Cup tonight. Tell me a little bit about what it's about and why you've come together here tonight. Well, it just started off with some women over wine, thinking wouldn't it be great for women to have a footy match. And then we had a mum from Upway who was battling cancer and needed medication that was quite costly per month. So someone suggested, why don't you make it a fundraiser? And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I think we've stood on the sidelines for so many years watching our kids play. And it's a great opportunity to get out there and see what they actually do out there. You found appreciation, actually, for what my kids do. It's, it's a big oval. <laughs> so it's about an hour or so, I think, until kickoff, and it's a very, very cold night up in the hills. Tell me, have you been training together in the lead up to this? Because you said you, you haven't played footy before, right? Never played footy. The criteria is you must be over 35, and most people have a child playing for one of the clubs, and you are not allowed to have played footy before, professional footy. Um, yeah, so no, never played before, and my head thinks that I can and my body is in strong disagreement with that yeah so we've been training maybe six weeks and the second one was in the pouring rain and I was thinking I am gonna hate every second of this and I loved it loved it yeah I think I have a little bit of white line fever so I'm sort of learning to hold that back a little because it's just a friendly match Kate that's right (laughs) tell me which team are you playing for tonight I'm playing for the Tigers up way to only team that matters and how tell me how many women for both teams have turned up tonight to participate in this match I I know that we have about 57 women on our playing list which is ridiculous and I'm not sure about Belgrave but I think maybe around 40 so yeah 100 women playing footy tell me um why do you think there's been such enthusiasm from the women in the local community to get involved in playing this game I don't know maybe the the growth of women in football and we have quite a few girls teams which is great and obviously we are a, a small tight-knit community which I didn't think was particularly unique but it seems a lot of people have commented on that side of it and actually a lot of the people from Belgrade didn't even know Leanne so it's quite phenomenal the time and effort and sponsorship and donations that people have been willing to put in for a family they didn't even know just because it is a great cause and unfortunately from the starting time of the idea to now Leanne has actually passed away so the money will now all go to the family and they are a very sort of quiet quietly spoken family who don't love limelight so they but they're very thankful I think to the community for just pitching in I I think it's just an excuse for fun isn't it it sure is it's absolutely amazing and there's such a lovely atmosphere here because there's purple balloons all around the place you've got purple ribbons in your hair it was Leanne's favorite color purple which is why there's that tell me a bit about Leanne what was she like Leanne had three children who um, Emma, Ben and Adam and look she just was a very quietly spoken person who was very community minded and always smiling always nothing was ever too much trouble and she you know if someone asked her to help with the canteen she'd be there barbecue she's just one of those she was an easy person to get along with happy yep nothing was too much so just community minded her kids played a lot of sport and yeah just a lovely family and I think she was only 48 so for a lot of us that's pretty close to home the thought of not being around for your kids is pretty hard at that age but you know they've got a lot of support and the kids are pretty amazing and her husband Dale's pretty phenomenal too so yeah it's it's nice that people come out even when they don't know her but it's also a sign of how many people did know the family and want to help out 
you said that you think there's something special about this community that brings people together, but is there also something special about footy in a local community like this? Do you think that's a that sort of bonds people? Yeah, look, I don't. I, I never really thought about that. I was never a footy mum. I've got four kids and three three boys, and they all play footy. And I always just thought, oh, this I'm so not a footy mum. And then my kids started basketball last season, and I was so shocked by. I mean, it's their only first season, so I don't want all the basketball people to get angry. But there felt like no community at all. It's just, I mean, it's great because it's in and out and it's undercover and it's warm and there's no canteen duty. But the community feel is so different at a footy club to know people more. I think there's also a little bit of, you know, I've stood and watched my kids do this and I think they think I'm just a dud and I want to get out there and show them I can kick a ball. I want to show my kids I'm not a dud. They will be proud of you tonight when you play? I think they'll they'll critique my game. I actually was in uh, training one night and I dodged like five women and then I didn't really know what to do so I just dropped to my knees and held on to the ball. And when I came off, my 12-year-old son said, Mum, you held the ball. I'm like, I know, but did you see the, 12, the women I dodged before that? Carly, the last thing I want to ask you is that um, you said to me that this is not the first year you're going to run an event like this. You, you already have bigger plans. Can you tell me what they are? Yeah, well, this is the very first one, but they decided, you know, it's a great event. It's, it's got so much support from the community. And so they thought they'd run it as an annual thing and it would just be a fundraiser for whatever family family was in need at the time or you know perhaps we could donate to cancer research or development of girls in footy like there's a whole spectrum of things we could donate the money to and I think it's just nice actually for women to stand up and be seen in a sport that has been so male dominated and you know I have tried to have a sense of humour about some of the things like men joking about needing a nail technician on the side instead of having a trainer but I reckon we will show them we have a bit of grit. Kelly, tell me a little bit about um, the game tonight and what, why, what compelled you to come along and get involved. Look, I've always been into health and fitness and I love training women and doing things and when the shout-out went out that you know Leanne was sick and needed money, I thought, what a great way to get involved. And it's been it's been an amazing experience to... these. You know, you're looking at women from 35 to 55, I think, is our oldest. We've never played footy before. We're getting 30 to 40 women at training every... every Every Friday night, usually for the pre-dinner, pre-training glass of wine first. <laughs> you're, you're having a pre-match glass of wine I as am, we speak, aren't I, you? I, I figure if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. So I'm going to go with what I've been doing for the whole season oh, so far. Right. Yeah. So is it a superstition? It is now, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, and, you know, the coach approves of it. So as long as the coach is here and I figure we've done it every training. So pre-match uh, warm up is a glass of wine and then cool down is usually a glass of wine or sometimes two depending on how, how, how we're going. <laughs> well I've got the coach with me here Wayne tell me a little bit about the, the pre-season and the training what's it been like for you and well, the girls? It's been an experience it's like going back to Auskick because a lot of the mums have never picked up a football and to get them into the into the groove of football training it's been an experience in itself I've just enjoyed it and the mums I know all the mums have enjoyed it as much as I have and we've got the assistant coaches who've enjoyed it and it's just been a great community thing happening I suppose and just just the way that everyone's just bonded together and we've just met people we wouldn't have met through the football club you made friends for life yeah. I reckon yeah. and, it, and, and it's just been brilliant and the women have just been fantastic and they've just embraced the whole thing so well and I'm just really proud as a, as the coach 
of the ladies and the whole football community who just embraced this whole thing for the for the Gori family. It's just been amazing. Have you been involved in footy for a while, Wayne? And, and if so, what do you think makes it special for a football club like this? Uh, I've been involved in footy for 30, 30 odd years, playing, coaching, and almost mentoring younger kids to play football. And it's this is the life. And and the ladies have been awesome. Yeah. And that's and that's for me. That's just what football's about. And <laughs> we've got we've got fifty two ladies in the Upway Tacoma team, and we've got an hour, sixty minutes of football. So they're going to be playing probably twenty minutes. Uh, yeah, twenty minutes each. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be massive rotations. Uh, and I was going to say, after a few glasses of wine before the game, that probably sounds about right too. You might <laughs> tell me, Kelly, having not played footy before, what's it like as a woman to play this? What is a much more physical sport than a lot of sports that women tend to play? What's, what's the experience, the physical experience of being in a football team and playing the game been like? Terrifying. Initially, the training I'm fine with, and then when you actually get into the game, I, I actually thought I'd be really terrified. I thought I'd. I said there was two things that would make me cry. One would be if I got tackled, and two would be if Wayne yelled at me. <laughs> And have you, has either of those things come to come to pass yet? No, luckily. Not yet. We've got the game to go and we could get it. I have seen him yell a few times. I've got but, a spray work out. Yeah, exactly. There's a spray just, coming. Just a, a fake one, but there's one coming. There's one coming. <laughs> so I am a little bit worried about that. But no, I have never played a game of football in my life. And I don't, no, I don't, other than Auskick. Auskick mum. Auskick mum's games. And I don't, it's probably, because uh, I'm, I'm a runner, so I'm, the physical side of things I'm okay. For me, it's probably just learning the skills part is really hard. Like picking the ball up because it's such an odd shape and it's you know, it goes the wrong way <laughs> sort of thing. So it's those little things like learning how to pick it up properly and it's going to go that way. And the, the moving around with the ball I found quite hard, especially I did my hammy last week, so I'm a bit shattered about that. What, Can't get what, down to pick I up. What I found amazing from the ladies' point of view is during the school holidays, they've actually put on Facebook, who wants to go and have a kick? At lunchtime, and even on Saturday afternoons, he wants he's up for a kick, and they've done it. And to me, that wouldn't have happened. That would never have happened if this thing didn't come up. And the ladies have just gone, let's do it. Back. Just now, we just got to focus on well, Mad Monday on Monday. We're going to have Mad Monday between the hours of nine and three because we've got school drop off and pick up. We've got to do that. And there was even talk about a footy trip. We're we're talking about a footy trip. Footy footy tat footy tats as well. Oh, footy tats. Well, Hadn't even I'll thought about that. The car. <laughs> yeah. So we did talk about Vegas, but. That we'd probably go with Tukarut now or something like that because I think Vegas is a bit too far. But so, Andy, tell me, you're the are you the coach of the Belgrave team? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, playing captain coach. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved tonight. Look, to be honest, uh, over a few wines, some women decided, hey, we should play footy. You know, the AFLW is all out there and everyone's got to be excited. So they came up to me and asked me about it. And I said, look, I hate to say it, ladies, we're sort of getting to that age that I don't know if we can get through a whole season of footy. Why don't we do a one-off? game and Upway are our fierce rivals so I said let's do it let's do a game against the other mums because we all know each other and um, everyone's like oh that's a good idea and then someone said oh actually there's someone in need in our um, community and I said we'll do a fundraiser so then uh, I had a couple of wines and <laughs> I'm sensing I'm sensing a, I'm sensing that there's a wine theme <laughs> no, no. and then went home and started this Facebook event and it just went crazy it's absolutely gone wild it's bigger than Ben Hur it's you know it's really taken off and you know that's a credit to the amazing community we live in. 
obviously, you know, what's going on outside of our club in terms of women's football has, has helped it and sort of inspired them and made mums go, ooh, I can do it. Um, you know, I'm kicking myself wasn't around when I was younger. But, yeah, and it's just sort of taken off from there. And from there, we, we made a committee. And uh, if you want anything done in life, get women together because of bloody hell. I'll tell you what, it's just like bang, bang, bang. So I've had meeting after meeting and 100 Facebook messages. And, you know, anyway, it's gone crazy. And the first training we had... You know, we had over 40 people. I mean, you don't get that to the senior trainings. Like, <laughs> seriously, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, the, a few are, are, are a bit worried and a bit scared. And I just said to them before, I said, look, in the end, it's about having fun. And we had a scratch match the other night. And I said, you can all play. Like, you can go home and you can prove to your kids that they didn't get the time from the dad. They got it from their mums. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, we're just, we're excited. I, you know, I, I'm a teacher in the local community and I just, I love, I, I love it up here. And um, I'm excited to be part of it and I feel blessed that we live in the community we live and that we can all come together. I mean, most of us don't know Leanne um, and that hasn't made any difference. You know, it's about helping someone in our community and I guess that's a theme that we'll be going with when we hopefully repeat it next year and, and see what happens. So, and you know, the, the, the atmosphere is amazing out here. So, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. There's so many people and um, it's a beautiful cold night but it's kind of, it kind of just feels right yeah, right. for footy. And Chrissy, yeah. tell me, what, what made you want to, want to get involved with tonight's game? Um, well, I knew Leanne personally, so it was a, a personal meaning to myself. I, my family's a life member of, of, of the opposition as well that we're playing right. against today. And to see these two clubs come together as one is what's just been... Yes, Leanne passed away last week, but nothing better could have come out of it than I think our community becoming as one. Because there has been a lot of rivalries over the years between the two clubs, so I think it's absolutely perfect to see. And I'm so proud to be part of it, and, and I want to help make us one. Yeah. And because yeah. it just, you know, our kids go to schools together, they play basketball together, they play football together. So our friends, they go to each other's house for sleepovers. So not to be against each other and be one, it makes just living up in the hills even so much better. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people always think that sport is about sort of opposition and yeah. division, yeah. but it's actually... And it's been like that for years between the two clubs. So to see this, if you said it 20 years ago, they would have laughed you away. And it. tell me as the coach, Andy, what's going to happen tonight? What, who's going to win? By how much? <laughs> uh, look, look, I, uh, you know, they always say in footy, let's take it one game at a time. We're going to take it one quarter at a time tonight. <laughs> And, uh, I thought you might have said one minute at a time. <laughs> um, one rotation at a time. Um, look, you know, we, we've got a good side, I believe, but it's, it's always hard to tell. Oh, I always think I'm going to win. I'm a calm sport and I still think I'm going to win. So what would I know? <laughs> so I, I hope and pray that we win, but I also hope and pray it's a fun game. Look, in saying that, you know, I'll talk about fun, but I, I am there to win as well. So we'll go out and we'll do our best. And, as much as I love them. And I, just, I actually hope it's a free-flowing game where there's lots of goals scored so we can really get the uh, crowd up and about and everyone gets a touch because you know I I got into coaching because I think it's about empowering people and I think you know it doesn't matter if you're the best player or the player who never touches the ball it's about being a part of something and for these women they're a part of something tonight and they're a part of something really special it's really special um, you know I, I've said just said to our ladies before you know they can take away from this they were part of this first event um, and they can say they've played a game of footy and you know what we haven't had the opportunity to say that we, we we haven't so yeah I'm excited I'm so excited <laughs> well so am I and it's like, it's really beautiful actually good on you all for doing it and good luck and um hope we're walking tomorrow enjoy <laughs> <laughs>
So thank you to everybody from the Upway Tacoma Tigers and the Belgrave Magpies for having me out last week and sincere condolences to the family of Leanne Gorry, Dale, Emma, Ben and Adam. Um, what was beautiful about that story is that um, the community has raised at last count something like $15,000 to support them. So it's absolutely a beautiful story. Um, you heard the Tigers theme song at the end there. So that does mean that the Upway Tacoma Tigers were victorious. The final score was 17 to 14. Um, but I just want to quickly end with, a, with an omen watch because there is an omen watch to come out of that match. So it was played last Friday, which was the 13th. So the game was played on Friday the 13th. So therefore the omen value is sort of inherently higher that's how that's how it works for those who don't know um the game was between tigers and magpies and tigers won the cup so um i think that really tells us that it's going to be a richmond uh collingwood grand final and that um the tigers are going to go back to back heard it here first the afl would love that just on um, fundraising, I just want to mention that this Friday night is the uh, Richmond and St Kilda will be playing Maddie's match and they'll be aiming to raise, I think, $300,000 for um, research into bone marrow failure. So if you're going along to the game and people are asking you to make a donation on the way in, it's a really good cause and, um, yeah, you can get behind that one. Uh, just a congratulations to Michael Long, who's got his um, statue, the bronze statue at Windy Hills. Got finally, um, there's been a lot of argument about where that should be, but uh, such a, an incredible tribute to, you know, he's an amazing man and what he's done post-football is extraordinary. But you forget how good a footballer he was too. I think that sort of gets lost along the way. So just long overdue, but an incredible um, tribute to him Um it's a beautiful statue too. It's really lovely. It if really you haven't is. seen it, Google it and have a look at it because it's quite unconventional. Uh, a last shout out to Liz Cambridge, um, the Aussie basketballer who's um, playing for Dallas Wings at the, uh, right now. And she just set a WNBA record, 53 points Woo-hoo. in one game. Amazing. Um, apparently her last quarter outscored the entire opposition's oh, wow. score. Um, she, and she did it with a three-pointer to, to break the record. So, yoo-hoo, go girl. What awesome. are we doing with our lives? I know. As we say goodbye, we're going to get on our, our inflatable unicorn <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> floaties. Emma Race, of course, will be back next week. She's in Tasmania just being excited and uh, probably sitting on the beach somewhere. But don't fret, she'll be back. And, of course, this week we're going to be knee-deep in football. So let's put our socks on, get out there. And what do we say? Go Go footy! footy!